Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for the show, making it uh, economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are Timmins Gold, Bravada Gold Corp., Golden Arrow Resources, Miranda Gold, Paramount Gold, Sand Gold Corp., and Uranium Energy Corp. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Daniel McAdams. Daniel is currently the Executive Director of uh, the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Daniel served as the Foreign Affairs, Civil Liberties, and Defense Policy Advisor to Congressman Paul um, from 2001 until Ron Paul's retirement uh, at the end of last year, 2012. From 1993 to 1999, Daniel worked as a journalist based in Budapest, Hungary, and traveled through the former communist bloc as a human rights monitor and election observer. Welcome, Daniel, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Great to be with you, Jay. Thanks for having me. It is really good to have you, and I'm so happy to know that you're still working with Ron Paul, who is, uh, who is a, a man that I love, and I know lots of, uh, most if not all freedom-loving people have the deepest admiration for Ron Paul, and I'm sure the same is true of you as well. Absolutely. I'm so lucky to be continuing to work with him. It's a real blessing for me. He is uh, one, of the, one of the nicest, most, uh, the kindest gentleman I've ever met. Uh, the, the opposite of hubris, the opposite of arrogance. He is, uh, as Jeff Dice, his uh, former chief of staff, liked to say, he reminds you of the old family doctor in the, in the 50s and 60s when they'd come out with a little black box, a little black bag, and treat you uh, at home, you know. Uh, a man who is a servant uh, and understands that government's role, the founding fathers believed that government was here to serve us, not the other way around. That in fact, uh, that in fact, government was here to serve us by being as little 
gentle and as uh, unobtrusive as possible, by being as limited as possible, by taking care of our basic rights, the right to be free, the right to be, uh, yeah, I suppose, to enforce the contract if there's a dispute to protect the borders, but not a heck of a lot more than that. And so Ron Paul understood that, believes that still holds true today. Daniel, why is that that philosophy considered to be such an anomaly, considered to be such a screwy idea these days? Why have we lost that? Well, I think certainly when it comes to Congress, you know, you have a lot of people who come in with high ideals. Um, I won't name names, but some of them have professed libertarian principles in the past. Um, but once they get in there, I think the seduction of power, the seduction of moving into leadership, um, I think it just takes over people. It's like an evil spell. And if they have some, some weakness or some, some hubris or whatever it is buried deep in their psyche, they soon realize that if you want to be a leader, you've got to learn how to follow. And so that's what you, that's what you have, unfortunately. Um, and uh, there are very few that are immune to it. Uh, Dr. Paul was one of them. You know, I've, I, you know, I've spent a lot of years with him, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the most private moments of our work. And the reality is he's exactly the same uh, in private than he is in public, unlike a lot of representatives who will put on a smiley face and then attack their staff, uh, you know, with all of these things. He's absolutely not like that at all. Well, who, uh, who are they becoming followers of, I guess, is the main question. If, they are, if you were elected, you would think that your job would be to to represent your your uh, your district for sure, but also to stand for the Constitution. The uh, the elected officers, the elected officials uh, in our government, swear to uphold the Constitution. Do they not? Sure, they do. But they um, they like to interpret it in a number of in a variety of creative ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean, in other words, not to take it literally. Uh, you know, at first, I know we used to hear. Uh, the courts used to ask, well, what would Jefferson or what would Madison or what would so-and-so, the, one of the founders, say? How would they view this topic before they would make a decision? And then it got to the point where they said, well, wait a minute, we don't really need to even worry about that because that was back then. And what took place in 1776 is not applicable to what it is today. So they, if Jefferson were here today, he wouldn't write the same things. He wouldn't expect the same do you buy that? <laughs> it's a pretty convenient argument, isn't it? Yeah. You know, uh, all of these yeah. things that we have now, we didn't, they didn't have then, so it, none of it can be relevant. <laughs> and human nature is so much different, and what drives people uh, is so much different. Human beings are so different than we were 200 years, 250 years ago, I guess. <laughs> yes, we've, we're all progressing constantly. <laughs> well, I want to ask you now, because I want to introduce the Ron Paul Institute to our listeners, and... Uh, hopefully have you on uh, on a fairly regular basis, you or other members of the uh, of the organization. But, Daniel, um, tell us a little bit about the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Liberty. What is its purpose, and how does it hope to make a difference? Sure. Well, the um, Institute for Peace and Prosperity was um, an idea that, uh, that Dr. Paul and myself had as he announced his retirement from the House. Um, uh, a lot of people thought that he was uh, retiring and going home and wouldn't be seen again, but he, he had other ideas, and uh, he wanted to continue the fight for liberty, and the cause of peace is really uh, the cause that's closest to his heart in so many ways because it relates to everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly it relates to our prosperity. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so uh, we decided, and he agreed to, uh, 
to set up this institute to continue his work in the area of, of foreign policy, of civil liberties, of, uh, of uh, non-interventionism. And uh, so that is the origin of it. The, uh, in terms of the idea we had, Congressman Paul had, um, had been holding regular lunches for his colleagues on the Hill uh, for years, Thursday lunches, and we had developed over the course of those years. I, I was I did, did, did the, uh, the got the guests on board for the lunches, and over the course of those several years, we had built a, a, a nice network of very smart people, a very creative thinking people, and that a lot of those people really went on to become the core of our academic board and some of them on the board of advisors. So it was really more of a natural evolution of what Dr. Paul uh, had been doing uh, for, for that number of years. So we're, we're basically continuing his work. Well, you definitely have um, a, a lot of really interesting people that are associated with the Institute, for sure. Uh, there are a couple of congressmen there. I see John Duncan and Walter Jones are two members of the advisory board. Yes, indeed. And former and form- Representative uh, Dennis Kucinich as well. So that really signals to everyone that this is absolutely not a partisan uh, or not a party affiliated in any manner. Uh, this, is, uh, this is about uh, developing a large coalition of people who may disagree on a number of things. You know, Congressman Paul and Congressman, former Congressman Kucinich would disagree on a number of issues uh, regarding the economy and, and such. However, on these issues, which are so critical... Uh, we focus on the areas of agreement, and uh, you know, Congressman Duncan from Tennessee is a a marvelous example of the old right. Uh, he is uh, he is just a terrific old-fashioned conservative, a Taftian, and uh, and of course, Congressman Congressman Jones is uh, kind of the conscience of of Congress. So it's uh, it's a great diverse board that we have. You're right. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's very interesting to note that uh, Congressman Jones uh, was mentioned in a, uh, I saw a, a, um, a video uh, from at the Harvard Law School uh, with um, uh, with a couple of very distinguished uh, people, and he was mentioned there, and they were actually uh, Ralph Nader uh, and another distinguished lawyer uh, personality uh, affiliated with the Harvard Law School, and it was interesting to note that uh, that they had mentioned Walter Jones as a uh, as a person that they held in high esteem. Uh, Judge Napolitano is on the board, and Lou, Lou Rockwell uh, yes. as well. Uh, exactly. Both of those. You know, we're, we're thrilled to have both of those. Judge Napolitano is, uh, as you know, I'm sure you're, you're, a, you're a fan of his as we all are. He's talk about a person who tells it like it is. And, uh, you know, Lou Rockwell is no shrinking violet either. <laughs> well, he, he definitely isn't. We've had him on this show as well. Uh, and, and Faith... Uh, Faith Faith Whitley, yes. uh, Tell us about her. She's an absolutely terrific woman. She's the chairman emeritus of the American Swiss Foundation, uh, which is a wonderful organization promoting uh, uh, good relations between the U.S. and Switzerland. She was uh, President Reagan's ambassador to Switzerland uh, for a number of years. Uh, She was an early and very vocal supporter of Congressman Paul's presidential bids, um, she's been a personal mentor to me, and I, I just uh, I, she's she's just terrific, a wonderful, wonderful woman. So lucky to have her with us in this project, and she was also very encouraging in the early days when we were trying to figure out what to do. She certainly she was the ambassador to uh, Switzerland under Ronald Reagan, I believe, and uh, yes, 
1981 to 83. Uh, and then on the uh, academic board, too, uh, you know, I recognize Walter Block, who I've talked to, and uh, he agreed to come on the show. I just haven't followed up yet. But oh, tell us about some of the people on the academic board. Well, a lot of those people, as I mentioned, have, have come to us through the Thursday luncheons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea that we had for the lunches was to to bring people on board that Republican members would be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Congressman Paul was, as you know, a Republican member. Uh, they'd be comfortable with they weren't wild lefties or something of that nature. However, they were presenting some different views and different perspectives on foreign policy. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who was Colin Powell's chief of staff, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, another terrific, very, very intelligent uh, person, who um, who feels bad about what happened uh, in the run-up to the Iraq War, and he spent a lot of time um, trying to um, <clears throat> educate others uh, about about war issues of war and peace. So, and uh, you know, he's terrific. Michael Scheuer, everyone is probably pretty familiar with Michael Scheuer. He's a uh, he's an iconoclastic thinker um, uh, and a real a real you know patriotic, intelligent fellow. So we're we're just thrilled to have them. Uh, well, it's really interesting. Michael Scheuer, Dr. Scheuer, is a former CIA intelligence officer and chief of the bin Laden unit. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he was he was involved in, in hunting down the bad guy. Sure. And he, if you remember correctly, in the, uh, in the early days of Congressman Paul's 2008 presidential run, uh, the so-called Giuliani moment, uh, you know, where Dr. Paul mentioned the blowback, uh, yeah. As a reason for the 9/11 attack, <clears throat> and uh, Giuliani, you know, had a, had a conniption fit. Yes, and it, it was Michael Scheuer who said, "Look, I've been in this business for decades, and let me tell you, you know, blowback is real. It does exist." <clears throat> Pardon me, and Congressman Paul is absolutely right. So it was uh, it was great of him to come forward, a person with a lot more experience than Giuliani in these matters. Uh, I have an idea, Daniel, that a lot of people are starting to understand that blowback is a reality. I mean, they almost uh, booed Ron Paul off the stage when he made that statement, the reason they're over here is because we're over there. And uh, there's a movie that I mentioned to you off off mic about, uh, called Dirty Wars uh, that I just saw, my wife and I saw here in New York. And it, it, it talks, uh, the, uh, the producer and the film guy that put it together uh, on Charlie Rose last evening were actually saying exactly that that the United States is being hated overseas more and more, and people aren't paying attention, aren't listening, aren't really uh, respecting us anymore as they once did because of exactly this kind of thing. And that movie was all about uh, people that got, you know, like people that got blown away and, and how we are covering up uh, to a great extent. Our military people are trying to cover up what's really going on. Another aspect they talked about was um, that, you know, when war is reported here in the U.S., we see pictures of moving, little moving, almost like ants moving along on the sidewalk that get blown up. We never see their faces. We never see the face of war. It's, it's, it's almost as if it's, it's, it's a video game almost that we're playing. Sure, and you, you have to go to the alternative press. You have to go to YouTube uh, if you're really interested in what happens on the ground, and it is horrifying. You know, it's horrifying to see the the results of, of our policy of our you know, invasion of Iraq and bombing in Afghanistan. Uh, but uh, you know, look, the uh, the American media won't show that because they're 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 in with the Pentagon. They're embedded. They're you know, these are the people they hang out with. Uh, so they're not about to to burn their bridges. You know, what's interesting on those same lines 
And look at how all of these people who are so close to the government, look how the, look how the so-called media is reacting to this uh, this uh, Edward Snowden incident. You know, they've mm-hmm. all lined up to call him a traitor and call for right. him to be prosecuted. It really is something out of the Soviet Union. You know, the it really looks like it to me. It, it really looks like it to me. Is, the watchdog press is screaming for, for a dissident to be sent to the gulag. It's just incredible. It is. It is. I want to get to the Snowden issue uh, in a minute, but I, I want to ask you about, this is a philosophical question, Daniel. You mentioned a little while ago that peace and prosperity go together. Okay, I get that. I agree with you that that's the case. I believe that that's the case. However, you know, we're hearing all the time that it was World War II that got us out of the Great Depression. And we're all told all the time, you know, I guess this is probably a Keynesian notion, that the government needs to spend our way to prosperity. So we need to have wars in order to stimulate the demand side of the economy. So how do you respond to that notion that peace and prosperity go together or that they don't? Um, But, you know, we know how absurd that is in our own lives, you know, when we're balancing our own, you know, financial portfolios. That, you know, no one in his right mind who wants to be a, a, any kind of a reasonable investor would say that I've got to spend everything I can, you know, in order, in order to get richer. It just it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't carry right. weight. And what Congressman Paul has always said is, you know, the, the, it, it is somewhat hidden to this point, but the reality is these wars are all being financed by the Fed. And that's where our foreign policy and our economic policy come together. The Fed is inflating our money down to zero so that we don't really feel the pain of paying for these trillion, multi-trillion dollar wars. So they're going to try to, to, you know, to monetize all of this. They're going to try to inflate away the value of the dollar. And uh, as Congressman Paul has often said, inflation is the cruelest tax. Uh, and so that's how it's being paid for. And that's the, the nexus between... Uh, our economic policy, our monetary policy, and our foreign policy. Right, exactly. And one of the reasons I'm I'm quite sure that Ron Paul would like to see some sort of an asset-based monetary system so that the uh, money couldn't be created out of thin air and used uh, and and provided to finance government so and and bank the banking industry so they can grab a bigger share of the uh, of of the GDP of the wealth of the nation. It's it's really interesting, Daniel, that we've seen huge uh, reallocation of wealth from the people that created. I like to say the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors. You can extend that to the doctors and the dentists, people that do something for us. Uh, to the bankers, and you know, our previous guest Ed Qualls was talking about how the stock market these days is a gambling casino. It's not any longer about investing in a good company. It's about a 15-minute trade. It's about you know grabbing uh, money from one person's pocket and putting it in yours without creating any value. So to me, these are the offsprings. But war and Eisenhower, and I've played that. I've played that clip on this show many times. Eisenhower warning us about the military-industrial complex. Is that? Is that what we're up against now, Daniel? Is this huge amounts of money that are being made to kill people? Is that what this is all about? And then are we around the world trying to change regimes so our corporate interests can spread their tentacles and grab more from these countries? Is that what this is all about? Sure, and it's not just about killing them either. You know, look in in places like Afghanistan. uh, You go in there, you bomb the place to shreds. And then you get contractors and well-connected corporations that will provide security. And then you get uh, uh, the NGOs coming in to remake the society in the image of the very far left often, 
in the U.S., the cultural left, uh, there really is something in it for everyone, and that's, that's the problem. Why do you think, you know, look, after, after 12 years in Afghanistan, not only are we leaving, but we're sitting down with the very people we've been fighting with for 12 years, uh, begging to find a way out of it, you know. So how would you, I mean, it, it's, it's not funny, it's tragic. Imagine yourself as a parent of one of these uh, poor kids that have gone over there and been killed, and you see 12 years later uh, the U.S. begging the, the, the regime that they fought for all this time, you know, get us out of this mess. It's just incredible. Yeah. Well, it really is. Um, you know, I want to talk to you about some of the articles. Uh, what I want to tell our listeners is that if they go to the Ron Paul Institute, and the, I guess it's the Ron, ronpaulinstitute.com, Org is that it, Daniel? That's, That's it, the website. Yes, indeed, RonPaulInstitute.org, uh, and there are a lot of really interesting articles. Some of which uh, you you have written, Daniel. Congressman Paul puts some things up there from time to time. Um, I'm just looking here at the home page now. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about a couple of them. One, I believe that you wrote this one. Why is no one listening to the U.S. government? Um, and you wrote, and I quote in this article, you wrote. Uh, the U.S. government is in a panic mode over the apparently successful escape of NSA leaker Ed Snowden uh, from Hong Kong. U.S. government officials are swinging wildly at any target in sight while howling at the disintegration, this disintegrating illusion of U.S. omnipotence. The rest of the world will not do what they, de- what they demand. They will not hand over Edward Snowden. The injustice, end of quote. Well, what evidence do you have, uh, do you find, uh, for saying that other governments are no longer listening to the United States? I mean, I, I guess what you're saying, alluding to here, is that, uh, th- that uh, China and Russia are not cooperating with our demands to get Snowden back. Sure, not only are they not cooperating, they are, um, they're, they're pulling ploys that the U.S. Would, would normally be used to pooling, you know, the Hong Kong government said, you know, I'm sorry, your application was not in order. You know, we can't, we can't process this. You've got to go back and redo it. Um, you know, Russia has said, uh, sorry, he's not on Russian soil. Um, and uh, the more bluster you hear from, you know, Secretary Kerry and members of the administration and certainly members of Congress who are, who are great at blustering, uh, the more you see these countries dig in their heels and, you almost, I mean, it, you can overplay it, but you almost get a sense that they're feeling a bit of satisfaction out of finally not being on the receiving end of, of, of bullying. Uh, okay, but tell me why Ed, Ed Snowden isn't a traitor. Uh, well, you know, there's an interesting article by Gene Healy today in The Examiner, and I think he makes a great point. This, this whole thing, and I think the media plays a huge role in this, this whole thing has been dumbed down to whether you're on Team Snowden or Team NSA. You know, yeah. it, really, it really has, um, <clears throat> probably by design, uh, uh, it's, it's left us lost when we're discussing what is the central issue, the issue of NSA spying. Uh, what are they doing? What does it mean? What does it mean to the Fourth Amendment? <clears throat> and so it's all been boiled down to this very silly and juvenile uh, uh, debate over whether he's this or he's that. Do you like him? Do you hate him? Uh, and it really, I mean, I, I hate to be conspiratorial, but you do have to wonder if it's not by design. If it's not by design, it certainly accomplishes that, doesn't it? Because I can tell you that 
Uh, you know, I mean, the other evening with Charlie Rose uh, talking to um, an editor at Wired magazine, uh, and the gentleman from Wired who was following this case was suggesting that Snowden was Snowden was a hero, and Charlie Rose didn't like that idea very much and was pressing him pretty hard. Uh, but it's sort of interesting that. Um, you know, you have this sort of feeling that if you're out there defending Snowden, that you yourself might be in some trouble with this government. As, as Alan Dershowitz said of Glenn Greenwald today, he hates America. <laughs> it he, feels like 2001 all over again. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Uh, this, this libertarian supposedly lawyer, uh, Dershowitz, you said? Yes, he was on... Uh, I think it was CNN that he was on today. And he's saying that Snowden hates America? No, you know, Glenn Greenwald, the journalist, oh. he's calling for him to be prosecuted. He's committed felonies, and he needs to be put in jail. Uh, he hates America. For free speech, freedom of speech. I would have, I would, where's Dershowitz been? I thought he was a lover of free speech. <laughs> but you know what's, what's ironic happening? is a, a lot of the people criticizing Snowden for attempting to to get uh, asylum in you know places like uh, uh, Ecuador or Venezuela, they're saying, "Oh, how dare he go to a place where there's no free press?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> what unlike in here when you have when you have journalists calling for for Greenwald to be put in prison, you have him openly calling for Snowden to be put in prison. Um, regardless of what Snowden did, that's not the point. The point is that the media here is acting like a lapdog of the go- lapdog of the government. Right, it's not an open-minded discussion. Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw this, Jay, but there was a hilarious little clip uh, from the, uh, these fellows, the Young Turks, and uh, he was breaking down the uh, Bob Schiffer of CBS News. I had this uh, this little soliloquy where he was saying that uh, Snowden is horrible and needs to go to jail, uh, you know, this sort of thing, the media calling for his head. And, and, and the Young Turk fellow pointed out, now, this guy's doing what journalists are supposed to do. They're not supposed mm-hmm. to deliver government talking points. Right. They're supposed to in- investigate government abuses and then present them to us. So right. the media's got it all completely backwards. <laughs> well, the media, the, our media has turned out to be a Pravda of the United States. It's a, it's, it's, it, it is a... Um, a propaganda machine, and I've been saying this for some time, it's like we've had one of our guests in the past uh, who was from the Soviet Union, Dmitry Orlov, uh, mm-hmm. talked about how the U.S. is moving in the same direction that the Soviet did financially, how we're breaking up and everything is going south in a way that's very similar. But he said our propaganda machinery here is so far superior to anything the Soviet Union had. He said there at least you'd see the hammer and sickle on the wall, and you'd see these big thugs coming in and beating the hell out of people if they didn't do what they wanted them to do. But now what we have are people from Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Oxford, uh, and, and places like that with PhDs and dress very nicely and speak very well that are there telling us why we should, uh, why we should submit to the government, why we should just stop asking questions, why we should just be good Americans, right? Yeah. And anyone who exposes any evil the government does uh, should yeah. go to prison. Right. And how this has been turned on head, because our founding fathers realized that government could be our biggest enemy, that if government wasn't constrained, we, it could be the most dangerous thing in our lives, because the government doesn't have any competition, essentially, and especially now if the media isn't allowed to speak out. Daniel, how, how much time, you spent a lot of time in, uh, in the Eastern Bloc, I guess, during the time of the Soviet Union, right, when they were in charge? Actually, just after the wall came down. I'm okay, so that. okay, so you weren't there during that time, but I mean, how much time do you think 
you know, they'll, they'll let little, little news, little things like this go on and talk for the time being. But how much time do we have before those of us who are speaking out against this government are not in some trouble? Or are we in trouble already? Well, you know, the, the thing is with, with, you know, being under the Soviet yoke or under, the, under, under communist rule, what they were successful in doing, and I mentioned this before um, in a different interview, what they were successful in doing was not coming in necessarily so much and beating people's heads in. They were successful in, in having a few show trials, mm-hmm. which scared the rest of us into self-censorship. Uh-huh. You, you know, you no longer want to break the law. You've changed the way you think. You've changed your own psychology. So, so that's, no why they need to bring, that's, that's why they need to bring Snowden back, to teach us a lesson. To teach us a lesson. To put teach Greenwald us to be obedient jail. servants. Yeah, put Greenwald in jail. Uh, and that'll teach the other journalists, and not not just the journalists, because the journalists are all bought and paid for, but yeah. a lot of uh, uh, alternative media people, b- bloggers, people who really are digging, uh, who are who are you know not considered journalists, alternative radio, alternative talk radio, uh, you know, those are the ones they want to scare because they've already got the mainstream in their back pocket. So it'll just take a few show trials to scare the heck out of the rest of us. Yeah, you know. well, I'm, I'm sure that's the game plan. Uh, they, that's insidious. We, it's, it's the most insidious part of totalitarianism, when they get you to become your own jailer in your own mind. Right, and that's the easy part. Well, it, but it seems to me that's what the Fabian socialists set out to do, as Ed Griffin talks about in his book, Creature from Jekyll Island, is they had no real difference with the end uh, with, this, with achieving the same ends as the Marxists had, but it was that they wanted to do it through an educational process, a kinder, gentler communism, a kinder, gentle uh, tyranny uh, for the masses. And it seems to me that's very much what we have going here. And, of course, underneath it, um, we, you know, we are seeing a lot of things disintegrate. I think the standard of living that we are having, uh, that we got used to having, is, is very much in jeopardy, too. I'm sure you would agree with that. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Look at hidden inflation everywhere. Hidden inflation and the redistribution of wealth from the people that created, I like to say, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, to the Wall Street guys. Uh, You know, when I go to Vancouver, which I do frequently, it's not usually the people like our next guest, Ken Cunningham, who have the the yachts out there in the harbor, but it's usually the investment bankers. I'm hoping that Ken Cunningham will have his own yacht. We're going to be talking to Ken after the uh, after the commercial break here. He's he's a wonderful guy, and he is a real wealth creator. He's out there looking to create and find uh, the next major gold deposit in the ground. But, I, uh, Dana, we're out of time, but there's so much more to talk about. I want to mention, though, to our listeners, uh, another article that you have posted at uh, Ron Paul, um, ronpaulinstitute.org. Uh, Obama chooses uh, intensified but strategically useless violence over serious diplomacy in Syria. That was a, an article. And there was an article that, uh, that Ron Paul wrote as well. Uh, the death of Daniel Summers, a, a, a yes. very, very sad case of a serviceman who took his own life. And apparently, as I was reading over that, something like 22 military veterans take their lives every day, something every like day. that. Every day. Can you imagine that? That, that is incredible. incredible. That's, that's yeah. got to be an incredible statistic. I mean, it, it has to tell us something about the tragedies of war. Uh, so, uh, Daniel, we're out of time. There's so much to talk about. I know we're going to have you on again sometime in the near future. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, Jay. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Well, folks, as I mentioned, don't go away. Ken Cunningham, uh, he's the president and CEO of Miranda Gold. He's going to be with us after the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back. 
from the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again Kenneth Cunningham. He's the president and CEO of Miranda Gold. Uh, Mr. Cunningham has been in this business for quite a while as an exploration geologist, uh, some 36 years of worldwide mineral exploration experience, and uh, he's been involved with uh, some, some good discoveries in both gold and uranium. Uh, over the years uh, in Death Valley and uh, uh, in also in Alaska, uh, the Dog Patch Gold Discovery uh, in Ransburg, California, etc. Anyway, he's had a lot of experience. He's been around the block a few times, and he, uh, I think, uh, is doing a great job with, uh, with Miranda Gold. Welcome, Ken. It's good to have you back again. Hey, thanks, Jay. Uh, real pleasure to be back. And, yeah, I feel like I've been around the block uh, more than just a few times. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, the other thing I'd, I'd uh, say right out the bat is, uh, you know, even though I, I love geology, love exploration, and, and really uh, enjoy the discoveries that you mentioned, uh, one of the things that I always try to do, and I think I've done exceptionally well with the uh, the Miranda team, is, is hire better geologists than myself. So I can... Uh, Certainly verify to your listeners that uh, we do have a team of uh, geologists both in uh, Nevada and in Columbia that have uh, great track records, uh, great uh, discovery records, and uh, that's what they're out there uh, trying to do right now. 
Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, you're being very modest, uh, Ken, I'm sure, but talk to us uh, while we're on the subject. Just mention a couple of your, uh, your head geologists, if you don't well, mind. Well, Joe Hebert certainly is, uh, has put together the uh, technical team. Uh, he's our vice president, and uh, for those of your listeners that, that are really clued in on, on discoveries, the, uh, the best discovery in, uh, in Nevada, certainly in the last uh, uh, five or ten years, is the Berwick discovery, which they're calling calling gold rush and they're mm-hmm. developing that right now it's uh, something in excess of 15 million ounces and uh, joe actually uh, drilled the first drill holes into that when he was uh, uh, with placer dome so that was uh, uh, pre-buyout of placer dome by Barrick, and uh, so he knows his way around uh, nevada and right now he's spending uh, two to three weeks uh, every month uh down in Colombia, he feels that uh, it's probably taken him a, a full year and a half to uh, get up to speed on you know where we need to be, why we need to be there, and what we need to be looking for in Colombia. But uh, we really feel that uh, we've kind of kind of hit that plateau, and that we're competitive now uh, uh, in Colombia as we are certainly uh, uh, competitive with anybody in Nevada. So. Uh, you know, uh, certainly pleased to have Joe leading that team. And, of course, there's uh, four other uh, solid geologists in our ELCO office and, uh, and uh, three Colombian uh, national geologists uh, uh, in our uh, Medellin office. So you've got quite a team together, Ken. You've got a, a company that has a market cap of around $12 million, 17 or 16.5 cents today, 74 million shares outstanding. Uh, clearly, this is an industry that is on its heels right now. It is, is, it is hit as hard as anything I can remember, actually, and I've been writing my newsletter since 1981, so that gives you an idea how many times I've been around the block as well. And uh, this, is, this is really a tough one, isn't it? It's, you know, it's horrible. It's, uh, you know, I'm a, a, obviously a shareholder, a big shareholder in Miranda, as well as a number of other uh, uh, junior uh, resource sector, sector stocks, and it's as bad as I've ever seen. Uh, however, you know, uh, you know, I've always got to remind myself, and, and uh, one of my directors, Paul Van Eden, uh, reminded uh, the board yesterday during a, uh, a board meeting that, uh, you know, even though it's, uh, you know, we... We struggle, and we, uh, you know, we're concerned about the market. It is this kind of market that brings opportunity, and it brings opportunity, you know, not just to those uh, investors that have the, uh, uh, you know, the wherewithal and the insights to, uh, you know, get involved at the bottom of a market, but it has opportunities for Miranda, and we're, uh, you know, that's one of the things we're really hoping to capitalize on right now. We. Uh, We've got a uh, you know a list going of uh, uh, potential uh, merger acquisition uh, either properties or companies and uh, that was really one of the things we stressed at the board level yesterday and uh, and we've got uh, you know somebody in our sites that uh, would like a, a white knight to uh, uh, you know walk in their door and we think uh, we can take some of their assets and uh, and really make a difference in this market. Uh, so, uh, you know, some companies are hunkering down. Some companies are, uh, you know, trying to conserve uh, their treasuries just to, uh, you know, pay their, their key people salaries. And, uh, you know, my comment to the board yesterday was, uh, yes, we need to be careful with our cash and we need to spend it wisely. But, uh, you know, we're not going away. We want to let our shareholders and, and new investors know that we're out there. And, uh, and, and so that's what I... Uh, 
you know I am doing and what I uh, intend to continue doing. Well, people like Paul Van Eden, Rick Rule, some of these really successful investors get most excited by these kind of markets. And they're people that are not afraid to take some profits off the table long before they should sometimes. Or usually, you know, I don't know how many times I've been at a conference and I'm thinking, oh, this is really great. We're making lots of money. And Rick Rule is there to spoil the party saying, I think it's time to take some money off the table. And then you have the cash to come in. Now, Miranda has a fair amount of cash at this point in time, but I think it all, another very important aspect that people need to understand is that Miranda also has some very solid supporters behind it, the, the likes of Rick Rule and Paul Van Eden, some other people as well, that, uh, that, that understand what you're doing and understand and, and respect the project prospect generator model that are there as well. And, th- and that is uh, sort of an intangible support. Uh, how much money do you have in the till right now? Ken. We're we're just slightly under eight million, and uh, interesting that you would bring up uh, uh, Rick Rule and the Sprott Global Group. But uh, my vice president and myself were actually down in their offices last week, uh, presenting to uh, oh probably uh, something in in the neighborhood of fifteen other brokers. So uh, you know, once again, we're we're out there. Uh, Letting our shareholders uh, know what we're doing and, and why we're doing it, and keeping our name out there in front of them, and uh, and of course, uh, aside from uh, strong shareholders like that that uh, that lend support, we've got uh, the strategic alliance that we've mentioned uh, in the last uh, interview with Agnico mm-hmm. Eagle that is funding seventy percent of our uh, uh, Colombian uh, exploration efforts, and and in fact, Joe and I. Uh, you know, are working hard and, and have uh, uh, contacted several interested groups. Uh, nothing ever happens overnight, but uh, groups that might be interested in, in some kind of similar alliance uh, with us in Nevada. So, you know, we try to, uh, we try to spread that treasury uh, just as far as we can. Oh, I know you do. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Columbia. Why did you get involved in Columbia? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in another interview that I heard you make, or a, a visual, I guess it was a video that I saw, you seem to be pretty excited about Columbia. I know you're a scientist and you have to be cautious about what you say and all that, but it seemed to me that there maybe some good geological reasons perhaps it just hasn't been prospected as much as it hasn't been that much explored and you found some things down there that you think are really exciting in, in Columbia. Yeah, there's really three key things uh, going on in Colombia. The first is, uh, you know, over the last five years, all kinds of junior companies uh, with, you know, I would say, uh, you know, less than stellar technical teams rushed into Colombia because it was kind of the, you know, the the darling or the flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. Well, those companies are, are running out of money or have run out of money. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at those companies as potential, uh, you know, instead of just doing greenfields, uh, grassroots exploration, we're actually looking at, uh, you know, exploring out of other companies' portfolios where maybe they've spent, uh, you know, $5 million and we can leverage our treasury and pick up an asset uh, that's been advanced uh, with their money for uh, pennies on the dollar. Sure. Uh, secondly, uh, the moratorium on new new claims uh, comes off here in just about ten days, I guess, uh, July second, uh-huh. and so we have a list of three or four properties that we have uh, dis- discussed with Agnico Eagle, and uh, we anticipate that we'll be uh, increasing our property portfolio in Columbia here in about ten days, 
And then finally, uh, exactly where you what you were alluding to is we wanted to go into a place that was frontier, that uh, properties that hadn't seen uh, past exploration, maybe never been sampled, certainly never been drilled, uh, outcropping uh, mineralization uh, that you could drive right up to and, and chip a rock off and put it in the bag and come back with an assay of, you know, anywhere from... Uh, a gram to 15 grams or, or a half ounce of gold per ton, and uh, and we are seeing that. So, uh, uh, you know, Columbia is uh, a great place to be, and, and fortunately for us, a lot of the juniors that were crowding that market are uh, are going away, and, and that's why, uh, you know, our vice president is spending uh, two to three weeks uh, every month uh, in Columbia to make sure that we're... Uh, aggressive and, and right there in the uh, in the competition. Your strategic alliance with Agneagle Eagle down there in Columbia, how does that work? You, you mentioned there's several properties that you're looking at. Uh, do, do they select one to get involved with, or how does that work? Well, we're the operator, um, and, uh, and so uh, we really get to make the, the, uh, the decisions in the field. And uh, so we'll make these acquisitions on behalf of the alliance, and uh, and then we'll spend alliance money to uh, put together technical reports, and we'll take the, take those technical reports, which you know will consist of uh, you know mapping, uh, try to define what type of mineral system we're looking at, uh, whether the gold is in a fault zone or whether it's uh, you know disseminated uh, in, in a stockwork in in a granite rock. We'll take that to the committee, and uh, and then uh, Agnico has the opportunity of saying. Uh, Yes, that's you know that is the type of target and the type of property and has the size potential that Agnico likes, and in that case they will uh, uh, designate it as a joint venture property. And uh, and once it's a joint venture property, they have the opportunity to earn seventy percent in that property uh, uh, by can uh, you know solely funding exploration that would produce a uh, a positive feasibility study. Of course, they they can also say, you know, that that property just doesn't meet our uh, our benchmarks. And if that's the case, then uh, Miranda has the uh, opportunity to take that property uh, uh, unencumbered to uh, other interested pro- sure. uh, companies. So, sure. uh, very nice situation for both of us. Yeah. Now, uh, we've just got a couple of minutes left, Ken. Uh, you've got a couple of things going on. I think in spite of the fact that it's very difficult these days uh, to get the commitments of these junior mining companies to spend money on the properties, they don't have the money. You are spending, I think, two or two and a half or three million dollars, something like that. Not you, but your joint venture partners are on a couple of properties uh, in Nevada. Uh, would you care to talk about those? Yeah, we're. you're exactly right. I mean, uh, uh, you know, money's uh, hard to come by, and partners that have uh, money even scarcer. But as we mentioned, we do have Agnico, obviously uh, a major mining company. We also have a company uh, uh, called Ramulus Gold out of Australia that uh, is a mid-tier producer in Australia. Very strong treasury. They'll be drilling on our Angel Wing property. Uh, one of our other partners will be drilling uh, in Nevada on our uh, Red uh, Canyon property. So we'll see uh, something in the neighborhood of, of a couple million dollars, as you alluded to, in partner spending this year. And, uh, of course, we uh, we do spend out of our own treasury as well. And, uh, you know, we do that to uh, uh, hopefully enhance the value of, of properties so that we can attract a partner uh, 
in the future. Those two properties that you mentioned, Ken, have, have there been has there been some work, any drilling done on those before, or is this the first drilling that's taking no, place? No, both of these companies will be back, uh, I want to say, uh, maybe the third year for at Angel Wing and the, and the fifth year, uh, I believe, at uh, Red Canyon. So, you know, that's another component of, uh, of the joint venture business model that most uh, investors probably don't appreciate. But the longer, the longer a company stays with the project, the more they get to understand it. And, uh, you know, it, it just uh, increases the probability of them ultimately being successful. So at Angel Wing... Uh, I think we had uh, the last two drill holes, although they were relatively narrow intercepts, they were uh, a third of an ounce and a half ounce intercepts. So, uh, uh, like I said, Romilius is a gold producer, and they produce uh, from high-grade underground, uh, high underground mine in uh, Australia. So they like to see uh, these 10 and 14 gram type samples. That's, that's what they're looking for. Well, they're sticking around, and they're producers. They must see something they like. Folks, it's a 17, 16.5 cents share price. Uh, Miranda Gold, the um, Miranda Gold Corp. MAD is the symbol of Toronto. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have under the symbol MRDDF. Uh, $12 million market cap with lots and lots of things happening. These are the kind of stocks that can be 10 baggers. No promises here, but when the market turns around and something good happens, uh, then the payday is there. It can be take a long time coming, Ken, as you and I both know. But boy, when when the ship comes in, sometimes it can be exceptionally rewarding, and that's why we play this game, why we stick with it through thick and thin. Thank you very much, Ken, for being with us again. Uh, you going to be showing up at any uh, any uh, shows or any plan any time like any gold shows or yes, trade uh, shows? The end of uh, July, which is coming up uh, fairly fairly soon, I'll be up in Vancouver. Uh, at the Agora show, where Rick is one of the uh, uh, you know major sponsors and whatnot, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll certainly have a, a chance to talk to uh, uh, any of his uh, clients that are up there, as well as uh, any other interested uh, people. Very good, and folks, it's MirandaGold.com. MirandaGold.com. You can keep up with all that's going on at Miranda. Thank you very much, Ken, for being with us. Look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Don't go away, folks. I'm going to be right back after the break for a wrap-up on today's show. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture 
exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And uh, just uh, to go over a little bit of uh, the things we talked about today, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, attending uh, the conference down in in Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas. I think it should be a great time. Um, A lot of really interesting people going to be there. Uh, Just go to our website and you can click on uh, the um, – click on the – on the Liberty Mastermind banner there, and it will take you right to it. Uh, if you fly into the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, you never really need to leave the airport. The hotel uh, is right there. But the uh, the cast of characters that are going to be with, that are going to be there, is, are really something to behold. And uh, I, I think that, um, I, well, it's just, it's just something that I am really, really looking forward to. Again, some of the people are going to be there, Martin Armstrong, uh, if there's no other reason, uh, if, if he were the only person going there, I would go there uh, just to hear and meet up with Martin Armstrong, hoping to have him on the show sometime in the not-too-distant future. But besides that, Jeff Berwick will be there. Uh, we've got Mickey Falp, uh, Robert Ian, David Morgan, uh, John Robino, who I'm really looking forward to talking to, uh, Bill Murphy of GATA will be there. Uh, we just talked to Carrie Lutz, who will be there, Carrie and... Uh, and Robert Ian, our sponsors, are really putting this are pulling this together. Uh, a lot of very interesting uh, civil liberty liber- libertarian types that will be there, uh, and um, so I'm I'm hoping uh, that you uh, will consider going if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, again, you can go to jtaylormedia.com and just click on the Liberty Mastermind um, the Liberty Mastermind banner. Uh, with respect to today's show, I thought both of our guests were very interesting. Ed Qualls uh, brings a different perspective uh, than I uh, might have expected in some ways. I'm not sure uh, where Ed stands in terms of his uh, libertarian credentials, uh, but uh, he does have, I think, a lot of very valid ideas and uh, views about what's wrong with American industry and why our country is slipping and falling, uh, I think, uh, very, very worthwhile. And then Daniel McAdams, for the first time to have him on our show, was a real pleasure. I have wanted to get him on the show when he was working for Congressman Paul, but in those days, uh, he wasn't allowed to speak for the congressman. Uh, now, he works uh, just as closely with Ron Paul as he did when Ron was a, uh, was a congressman, and he is free to speak. So I expect we'll have Daniel McAdams and probably other members uh, of the board of directors uh, of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity on this show as well in the future. Uh, with respect to the markets, I think we're in very, very difficult times. I think Ed Qualls pointed out that the stock market is more of a gambling casino. It is more short-term orientation, and, and uh, corporate industry is not looking, at, is not uh, understanding its workers 
And they don't understand that the value comes from the bottom up, not from the top down. I think uh, he has an awful lot in common, his views, with John Mackey. And John Mackey, who I heard speak here in New York uh, about um, oh, a couple of weeks back, Conscious Capitalism is his book, and I'm hoping to get John Mackey on this show in the near future. I think wonderful insights into capitalism, and if capitalism is going to survive, uh, it needs to do a better job of explaining to people why capitalism is good because right now people think of capitalism as being this parasitic selfish organism that that uh, really takes away uh life uh and liberty and happiness and everything else it, it it's viewed as in a very negative term instead of capitalism being what it really is the generator of wealth uh and prosperity i uh, my engineer is telling me our time is up so i do have to say goodbye for this week, next week we're going to have Craig Berg, uh, Craig Berman, Bergman. I'm sorry, Craig, Craig Bergman, and Glenn Downs, uh, who is with the uh, Congressman Jones, uh, will be with us. In closing, I want to thank our uh, vo- I want to thank the staff at Voice America, Tacey Trump, my producer Matt Widener, my engineer, uh, for making the show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.